But what's up, guys? I'm Corey, and I am so pumped and honored that Pastor Shanick chose the book Stoker for us to go through as a community here at Cornerstone Church. I personally know the author. He's intelligent and funny and attractive because it's yours truly. Heyo! And I believe that this book will really impact your life. I wrote this book specifically for youth pastors and people in student ministry, but I believe that you can apply it to almost any area of your life, whether that's with your family, whether that's with your coworkers, or whether you have your own company and you have people that work for you. Because this book is all about how to empower you, encourage you, and equip you to do what God is calling you to do. So let's dive right in. Well, tonight we're going to look at the first four chapters or part one of the book Stoker. And what we do first is explain what a Stoker even is or why I was even inspired to title the book Stoker. In fact, Webster's Dictionary defines a Stoker as someone who is employed to tend a furnace and to supply it with fuel. And so I started to read all these stories about stokers because uh, we don't really have many stokers today because stokers usually were on steamboats or locomotives. And I just want to paint this picture for you to kind of share the stress that was involved in this job. The stoker needed to be extremely skilled. They needed to do difficult work and it carried a heavy responsibility. I mean, think about it. They would have to show up hours before the ship or the train would leave. They'd have to get the furnace ready. And if they made it too hot, the ship or the locomotive could explode and kill people. And if it wasn't hot enough, transportation would cease. And you've all been there when your flight gets canceled or something outside of your control causes you to not get to the place that you wanted to get to and how angry and upset you would be. Can you imagine the stress that this would put on the person who was stoking the fire to keep things moving? What inspired the story of the title of this book was actually reading about the Titanic. There were 176 stokers on board and all of them stayed under deck to keep the steam-driven electric generators running for the telegraph, for the lighting, and for the water pump so that other people could get to safety. Only 48 of them survived. What an incredible picture of sacrifice. And that is what this book is all about. Sacrificing our lives for other people, stoking the fire to keep the passion alive, not just in your own life, but in the lives of people that you influence. So again, this book is all about how to empower, encourage, and equip you to do all that God has called you to do. In chapter two, we looked at the story and life of Ezekiel found in the book Ezekiel in the Bible. And the story of Ezekiel is actually crazy, frustrating, and one of the worst assignments, in my opinion, that is given to anybody recorded in the scriptures besides, obviously, the life of Jesus. Now, now think about what, what happened to Ezekiel. You should read it in the first couple chapters of the book of Ezekiel. But he's given this really strange assignment. He is told where to go what to do, and the scripture tells us that God feeds him a scroll of everything that he is supposed to say to the people that Ezekiel is assigned to go to, and it tells us that this scroll tasted as sweet as honey. Now, that sounds pretty awesome up front. I mean, I want to be told exactly what to say to preach on the Sundays that I preach, and I would love for God to feed it to me in a scroll that literally tastes like honey. That sounds like a good idea. 
The reason for why this story is frustrating is because God tells Ezekiel exactly the results of what he's about to endure. God tells him to go to the Israelite people who are rebellious at this time and and tell them what exactly to do, what to say, and then he tells them the results of his efforts. He tells them that not one person is going to respond or return back to God. Now, I'm cool with crazy assignments, but I'm not cool with an assignment where I'm told that I'm literally going to fail before I even go forward and put my efforts into something that God is calling me to do. And and so I just read the story of Ezekiel and get so frustrated. But what I was wrestling with as I was writing chapter two is Ezekiel doesn't fail. In fact, we would all agree probably that because of the results, Ezekiel failed, but success isn't defined by numerical value or numerical gain. According to the book of Ezekiel, success is defined by obedience and faithfulness. In fact, I would define success as when those who know you most respect you best. I like to paint it this way, and I concluded the chapter with, success is more about us being the heroes of our families than it is being the heroes of our communities. Now, now I, I encourage you to be a hero of your community, but not at the sacrifice of our families. In chapter three, we tackle a subject that is a personal pet peeve of mine. Now, I believe in verbiage, and I think the, the language that we use to describe our relationship with God and how God relates to us is extremely important. Some people call it semantics, but uh, one of the things I want to address and what I did address in chapter three is this idea that God doesn't want to use you. Now, now you hear it a lot and people say it and I get what they're meaning and it, it is a good intentions, but, but when you think about it, when you truly think about it, we don't want to be used by anyone. We don't want to be used by our spouse. We don't want to be used by our friends. We don't want to be used by our coworkers or our bosses. We don't like the idea of being used by anyone, but it's so easy for us to say that God wants to use us. And so I really tackle this idea that God doesn't want to use you. In fact, he wants to know you, like like really know you. Like God enjoys who you are and not who you should be because you'll never be who you should be. God is in love with not a future version of you. God is in love with you right now and he doesn't want to use you. He wants to empower you, but in order to empower you, he wants to know you first. And so I really focus on two challenges in this chapter is is the first challenge is never spend so much time doing things for God that you forget to spend time with God. And the second challenge is, is, is a constant reminder that the thing that we are a part of is so much bigger than the little part that we play. And those two truths are so important for us to understand our relationships with God and our relationships with people. And lastly, in chapter four, we have a, a fun chapter. Uh, a crazy chapter, but a fun chapter. It's titled Skabulon. Skabulon is the Greek word for uh, an appropriate version is crap. Now, I write it out in the book, and if you're offended, I, I apologize for that, but I think it's really important for us to understand exactly the weight of why Paul would use that word and what he was trying to describe. In fact, Paul uses this word uh, to describe our own efforts to gain righteousness instead of resting in the righteousness that we have been given because of Jesus Christ. And I I know for us uh, as Americans in the 21st century, comparison is a huge deal, especially with social media, especially with, I mean, we grew up with the phrases as comparing our lives with the Joneses. 
and this American dream. And uh, really what we talk about in chapter four is that the grass is not greener on the other side. Uh, it's greener where you water it is one hip hop artist says in a song. I-, I would even like to take that a step further and say the grass is not greener even where you water it. It's greenest over the septic tank. That's right. Grass is greenest when crap is involved. And I relate that to this idea that that people are messy. I mean, we do some jacked up things. And if we want to make a real impact on people, we can't, we can't allow our love be affected by the things that people do. In fact, uh, the best way that I can put it into words is we need to love people well, even while knowing the worst about them. You see, we love the idea of grace for ourselves, but we oftentimes want justice for other people. And I would argue that in order to love like Jesus, we would have to get involved in people's lives because some of God's greatest testimonies are in the biggest piles of crap. Psychologists say that it takes about four years to get involved and really know someone. And so are we really taking the time to invest in people, to show the love of Christ, and to offer grace, the grace that we ourselves want to receive? And that is what this part, part one, the first four chapters of the book Stoker is all about. And so we have some questions for you. I'd love for you to get uncomfortable. Really dive into these questions, really become vulnerable, and and really dialogue with each other because the reality is, is we only grow when we dialogue. So let's dive in and discuss.